Welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael Russo and Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Michael, I am so excited about our next guest, Nick Gray. Um, he's calm. He's quiet. No, he's not. He's a firecracker. He's awesome and exciting. And I love what he has to say about connections and people and just building your network. Everything about it. He's awesome. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of like, uh, oh, God, a podcast today has been such a long day. And then he jumped on the screen. I was immediately revived. It's amazing what what energy can do for somebody and how infectious it is. I mean, I was totally in within five minutes. So, yeah, he's my new best friend. So he's told me to get new friends, which I'm all about. He's coming to our house. We are going to have a two hour cocktail party following his book. We're Tesla buddies and we're going to be part of his parties across America. I mean, he's awesome. He was. And I, I tell, like I said, totally recommend. I'm, I can't wait to read his book. I, I'm, I'm sad that I haven't yet, but I'm, I'm sure it has the same energy in the book that he does in person. Well, so I got you your own copy because I want you to read it because uh, I think you're going to love it. And I think everybody that listens, once they hear Nick Gray talking about the two hour cocktail party, you're going to be hitting the Amazon and ordering a copy for yourself as well. It's going to make a difference in your personal life and your professional life. Yeah. And that's the thing. It ties in. I mean, at first I was, again, I was struggling with, okay, how does this work into, um, you know, what we do and how we do it and people that may listen, but it does. It totally does. It's about, we talk a lot about emotional connections and he's talking about how do you connect with exactly. people? And that's what we talk about. So it was a good match. I think everybody is really going to enjoy this episode and you're going to have to get the book and then you're going to have to have your own cocktail party and you're going to be the most popular person in your friend group. Uh, and joining us today is Nick Gray, entrepreneur and author, hailing from Austin, Texas. He started and sold two successful companies, which I cannot wait to get into because, you know, every day I get offers about selling this place and I think about it seriously. And Michael keeps saying no. Um, but I want to talk about flight display systems and museum hack, which he sold. He's an author of the two hour cocktail party, which if you have not read yet, stop, order from Amazon, come back. Okay, we'll continue. It's a step-by-step -step handbook that teaches you how to build big relationships by hosting small gatherings. And over 75,000 people have watched his TEDx talk about what he hates most about museums. He's been featured in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, New York Magazine. Everyone calls him, calls him a host of culturally significant parties. Nick, welcome to the podcast. I am happy to be here. Hello, y'all. What's up? I love the y'all. I love that you just slipped a y'all right in there to get us started. Thank you. Gotta go early. I grew up in Texas and Georgia, so I know my friends. See, and we grew up in Louisiana, so we're yallers also. Uh-huh. And we're big fans of Austin. We we went there uh, this past year a couple of times, and we enjoyed both of our, several of our trips. That's pretty cool. How, yeah. how'd you get? Can you fly direct? We drove, actually. Okay, drove. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, Great. it's an easy drive. Um, I have a Tesla, which I like to work into every conversation. So we just recharge along the way and it comes yes. free supercharging. So it doesn't cost us anything. Yeah, what's the first rule of what's the first rule of owning a Tesla? Tell everyone you own a Tesla. Well, that's funny because I also own a Tesla. So great. <laughs> We're doing it. I have the model Y. I love mine. And for anyone listening, a pro tip when you come to Austin, you have to go swimming in Barton Springs pool. It's a natural spring-fed aquifer it's just it's like a wonder of the world it's incredible that is so cool now i've driven to the aquifer um a few times and i've never actually gotten into it so how's the water is it cool it is cool it's about 68 yeah. degrees fahrenheit so it's Ooh, brisk chilly 
That is very brisk. I like a solid 85 in my pool slash bath water. That's a hot tub. That is a hot tub. (laughs) Indeed it is. Um, So Nick, how long have you had your Model Y? Okay, I got my Model Y about two years ago, exactly. I lived in New York for 13 years, never drove a car, kind of forgot how to drive. And um, and then I moved when I left New York, and I was nomadic. And I was like, I need to get a car. Obviously, I wasn't going to get anything else. And I decided on the Model Y because I was like moving around a lot, and I wanted more storage space. Um, but a friend described it well. He said, many cars feel like, they are a car that has like sort of a computer that's on it. When you drive a Tesla, it feels like you're driving a computer that happens to have a car attached. And I like that. 100% agree. I got the Model X three years ago, and I'm actually one month away from trading it in for the Model Y that they've been building for me this year. Nice. Really cool. Very excited. Very, very excited. Okay, so enough about our driving. I would actually really like to talk to you about a number of your endeavors. And I think we'll start with the book because Michael so um, poignantly pointed out that we always have to have a purpose. And so I I do want to dig into Museum Hack and and the sale of your companies. But I want to start with the book because – the purpose for today is really talking about connecting with people. And since to our cocktail party is all about connecting with people, tell me how to do this successfully, especially since I'm kind of an extrovert and Michael's pretty much an introvert. How yes. do we connect with people in this way? Great. I can't wait to talk about this because I think I've found the secret formula to make it easy. And so anyone can have these connections. But I want to ask you guys, what like now do you host parties because you run this company and I know that that's so busy. But like, who is your peer group or who do you hang out with? Do you host stuff? Well, we we just have come to the back end of raising four kids (laughs) who were born within four years. So the first 23 years of our marriage um, was really spent hosting slumber parties for eight, nine, and 10 year olds. Yes. Yes. And so now you're on the back end of it. I mean, we're, we're two months into an empty nest. So we're just now starting to find our adult friends again. Nice. 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 Okay. So I think I have the perfect formula. Do you have adult friends who invite you guys to a lot of stuff? For example, they always invite you to dinner parties and things like that. They did. And I think we told them no a couple of times too often because we had a baseball game or a dance recital or whatever. So we're starting to find that back. We've had we just remodeled our house in anticipation of the empty nest. And we've had three dinner parties and they've gone very well because Michael is an excellent chef. Michael, what do you cook? What's your go to? I'm Italian, man. It's my blood. Yeah. 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 But Uh, I'll be in the name kind of is the word. How many people usually come to your dinner parties, Michael? Um, six to eight to 10. Perfect. Good. Nice. One thing that I found was, is that six is really the sweet spot because the conversation won't bifurcate. When you have more than six, the conversation naturally will split into two groups and it takes a much stronger or more active leader and facilitator when you're doing dinner parties. So that's my advice for that. I, however, think that dinner parties are not ideal for the average listener who maybe is not like Michael, that is an amazing chef who cooks Italian and has go-tos. I found that I could get 80% of the benefits with 20% of the work simply by hosting a cocktail party. Mm -hmm. I could invite more people and I could do less work. I could make more connections and have less stress. And that's why I settled on hosting these cocktail parties. Now, I've hosted like 
don't know, probably 500 events, dinner parties, cocktail parties, a variety of things. And I started to do it when I first moved to New York because I didn't know anybody and I wasn't very outgoing. And I just would go to nightclubs and networking events. And I, it, it was too loud and the networking events felt transactional and greasy and I just didn't like them. So I said, instead, I'll start to bring the party to me and I'll host my own events. And I would invite like half people I knew and half new people that I met or wanted to get to know. So I'll pause there. I see Michael thinking. What do you think? No, I think Jackie. Go ahead, Jack. I actually had a question. Um, yeah. So I love the idea of this. And so my question is, do you find it best in your home setting or in some sort of a commercial setting? And side note to that, um, the people you know, are they bringing the other half of the people that you don't know as well? Or are these just rando strangers you find on the street? How do you invite people you don't know to your house? So let's talk about the location first and foremost. And this may be polarizing for your listeners. I think it's got to be at home. Okay. It has to be at your home because that's the most vulnerable, generous thing. And we want to talk about creating real relationships. When you host it at a bar, it's, you know, I call it like birthday parties held at a bar, Bardies. <laughs> and I kind of hate them. I feel like whenever I get invited to a party, the good luck leprechaun inside me dies and <laughs> never finds his pot of gold. The reason I don't like parties at bars and restaurants is because it's transactional. Usually everybody's dealing with their bill and the check. It's not a controlled environment. There's other people there. I don't like seated events. Sitting down is the kryptonite to a successful cocktail party. Oh. It makes it very hard to meet new people. Your groups don't move. There's not as many new collisions. And so the whole purpose of my event is let's create as many new conversations as possible. And you want to have, by the way, 15 to 20 people. That's the sweet spot for the number of attendees that you want to have at your party. I can already tell that you two would crush this. So I'm going to encourage you to host a cocktail party to get out of the dinner party format, which I think you're very successful on, but I'm to try in. something new. Yes. We yes. Are just you in? built a, a wine bar, uh, which yeah. is funny because I don't drink and Michael drinks rarely, uh, but we have like the greatest wine bar. And so my follow-up question is going to be, do you have a signature alcoholic cocktail and a signature non-alcoholic cocktail? Is it just the wine flows? How does it work? Super good question. So I myself don't drink alcohol either. Kind of ironic. <laughs> I wrote a book called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. And if there's not a single drink recipe in the book, but that phrase cocktail party is a social construct, an easy idea that if you went up to your neighbors and said, hey, we're hosting a happy hour, we're hosting a cocktail party, they know what that means. That means mm -hmm. it's about the people and the conversations. They know it's not a huge commitment. That's why we use that phrase cocktail party. I've talked to more than 100 people in the last three months who've read my book and hosted a party. And universally, they say they're shocked, one, how little food people eat, and two, how much people don't drink. So the new joke that I'm thinking of is if you want people not to drink, then host a cocktail party. When, when do people actually drink? They drink at loud events. They link at sporting events where you can't have those conversations. There's nothing to do but to drink, right? At a cocktail party, you're mixing and mingling. The drink is just a crutch. You hold it in your hand, but you don't actually drink that much. What I suggest people have is, is seltzer for non-alcoholic, just some seltzer, some maybe water, some juice. Mm -hmm. And then for the drinks, just some simple white wine, some red wine, and some hard alcohol with some mixers. And mm -hmm. it's basically a self-serve bar. 
people can mix something to help them loosen up and get more comfortable. But that's what I suggest so far. What do you think? I love it. I love everything about it. I'm curious if any of those 100 people are based in the Acadiana, Cajun country, Lafayette, Louisiana, who consumes more alcohol per capita than anywhere else in the country. And for some odd reason has managed to have two unbelievably illegal things happen on a legal daily basis every day. One is about three dozen drive through daiquiri shops to go. How is that possible? And two, every restaurant and bar is completely not just allows, but provides to go cups. And when you're closing out your tab after dinner or drinks says, so you want to add one to go for the road? Incredible. That is drinking. That's all I'm saying. God bless America. Thank you (laughs) for our freedoms. They can pry those to go cups out of my cold, dead hands. Precisely. Drive through Slurpees. Isn't that like a Slurpee that they make? Or Pretty much. No, it's oh, a but it's got a yeah. whole lot of Everclear. Okay. And, and wow. sugar. So you can't taste it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah. I do okay. love the um the concept of this though, because it really is. I was, you know, we're talking, I went to Jackie's office before we got on. I was like, okay, well, how are we tying this to what we do and whatnot? But uh, it makes total sense. And it's a different way of looking at things because we really talk a lot about emotional connections, you know. And what better way to have an emotional connection than to socialize, you know, mm. and um, to have people on your home turf and to really kind of, like you said, be vulnerable in that environment to to, to have those conversations happen. And <laughs> it's not like you're going to leave there being lifelong best friends, but you really get to engage with somebody and kind of know who they are, you know, beyond the surface. Yeah. Look, here's why this is important. I want to recut this. I want this to go right at the beginning. Okay. Americans have less friends than ever before. As we get older, it's harder to make new friends. If you're thinking for business or for personal, let me tell you that the biggest relationships and the most benefits that I've found have come not from my best friends and family, but from my network of acquaintances, Mm -hmm. from those loose ties or what they call weak uh, uh, connections. It's that random LinkedIn contact who mentions that they're hiring. It's Mm -hmm. that random person, that friend of a friend who says they need an agency that you find the new clients through. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that cocktail parties and hosting little happy hours like this is the number one way to build up your network of acquaintances. Mm -hmm. And from those acquaintances can come these big relationships. The biggest benefits in life come from not just hosting one dinner party, Mm -hmm. but when you can make hosting a habit. When it's something you can do regularly and you add the intention of meeting new people. So that's a question that Jackie had was she was like, okay, how do I invite these new people? Uh Who do you invite? We know where, which is at your home, but who do you invite? Well, for your first party, I just want you to invite a low stakes affair, normal people, your, your neighbors, your employees, your old colleagues, anyone you've worked with for a long time. We're not trying to reach from the top shelf for the first party. Okay. Why is that? Because I'm teaching you a new formula. I'm teaching you an event operating system that you can apply to multiple things. It can be a happy hour for your employees. You can host a book swap for your neighbors. You can do a clothing swap with this. You can do anything with this party operating system. But for the first one, it just needs to be very easy and comfortable and safe. I'll pause there to see if you have any questions. 
No, no I, I, I'm sorry, Jack. I, I just, I love that because we talk um, a lot, again, how do we tie this in, but we talk about loyalty and advocacy. And the, the goal of any advertising and marketing is to have people become your advocate, right? To have that secret to say, oh, I know somebody. Oh, have you seen this? Let me recommend this restaurant. Let me recommend this product, whatever it is. People are dying to share their find or their yes. no, you know? And that gives an opportunity for that to happen in real time. Yes, exactly. Big time. And at the party, by the way, there'll be two, two and a half rounds uh, of um, icebreakers. And we do these icebreakers to get the room to mix up a little bit. And those are advocacy opportunities. Even the last one, we ask people, share a great object. Share share one of your best um, purchases over the last six months. It's $100 or less. Could be an object or an experience. And so those types of things, yes, I love it and I'm on board with. It's cool that you guys are thinking about the theory behind this. Absolutely. Well, and I'm also thinking about the fact that we've lived in the same house for 23 years. Uh, we moved in with a six month old and then he had three sisters. Boom, boom, boom. Every year after that. And then now the youngest, we just shipped off to college. So the 23 years we've been in this house and raised four kids. You know how much time we spent socializing with our neighbors? About four minutes over the course right? of 23 years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, because we're busy, Nick. We're busy. We're at baseball games. We're at dance recitals. We're at school events. And so um, we, as we finished this remodel, we had what I now should know. I could have called a two-hour cocktail party, but what I refer to as a sip and see. And we invited all the neighbors because it's a year of a trash truck and work trucks and front yard full of junk and people walking by wondering what's happening behind the tarp, you know? So we thought, well, the least we could do is invite them in. I have a personal philosophy. If you write an obituary, please tell me how they died because I'm dying to know. And if you remodel your house, open your door and let me see how it looks on the inside when you're finished. So yes. we invite them all in. We did, minus the games, I'm interested to know more about this, but we did exactly what you're talking about. We had a little food, a little beverage. They were there for two hours. They got tours of the house and we met neighbors we have lived next to for 23 years, but never spent any time in the same room with before. It was awesome. That's great. Good job for y'all for doing that. Kudos right? to you. Well, and they, and you know, they showed up and I think that's another thing. I have a theory that in, in, in again, in businesses as well, I think you have to invite people to things. <clears throat> like if you want them to be part of your group or part of your organization or to do business with you or to engage with you, you have to have an open invitation for that. And sometimes yes. it's just asking, don't be afraid to ask, you know, and I, we asked and they came as like, they were right. waiting for that, you know, here's the secret. Everyone wants to be invited to a party. Yes. When you invite someone to your party, it's a little gift that you get to give them that yes. says, hey, I like you. I want you to come to my home. Come over. Whether they accept it or not, already know that you're starting the relationship by giving them the gift. Yeah. That's what I like. You know, there's networking these days really has a bad rep. It's gotten a bad reputation. Mm -hmm. It's it's seen as transactional and and greedy and selfish and mm -hmm. things like that. And yet, why can't networking be about building community? Why can't it be about finding friends with an intentional way? And the way that I like to do that is to start by adding value. And I know that all my parties and people who read my book, their parties are successful because they're done with the intent of creating a space to make new friends. Mm. And that's missing these days. 15% of all men say they don't have a close friend. Most Americans haven't made a new friend in the last three years. Oh, my gosh. 
It's crazy. And this idea of a loneliness epidemic is real. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think a lot of that, we talk about that a lot, actually, um, as we're in this this uh, shift in our, our lifestyles, um, again, with kids going away to school and all that stuff. But, you know, I think the, like the friends, I look around, the friends that I still have that are close are the friends I made in college, you know, yes. like during that developmental time, like, you know, and I may not talk to them all the time, but when I do, it's like I talked to them yesterday, you know, and so you get stuck in that groove, like these are, these, this is my friend base. And then you meet people through life, like, okay, they're friends of my kids or they're friends of business and, but they're not that, they don't cross over to that deep level, you know, it's yes. just it's surface surface, you know? Absolutely. And that idea, by the way, of I have the same friends in college, you know, most people peak in college for their new friendships that are created. And as they get older, friendships then become a game of attrition. You lose more friends than you gain. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, I have the same friends. I like them. But what could life be like if we knew all of our neighbors? What could life be like now that we're empty nesters if we were constantly being invited to new things? What would life be like if we had a new group of a peer group that was also business owners that that inspired and challenged us? What could life be like in that way with my life and my relationships? And so that's why I think that, you know, I'm on this mission to try to get 500 people to read my book and host a party for their friends, their neighbors, their work colleagues to say, let's add a little bit of structure to our social gatherings. You'll be shocked how much people appreciate that. I talked to a guy this morning who said, look, I'm an introvert. I present myself as an extrovert, but I'm actually quite shy. I hate hosting events, but I read your book because I knew that it was a life skill I wanted to get better at. And he lives up in Boston and he hosted the event and he said, it was amazing. People love the name tags. They love the structure. There's a secret weapon I have in my book. It's called guest bios. He said, people love the guest bios. And I find that now people just appreciate a little bit of structure. They appreciate adding some generous authority and leadership to the event to help them make new friends. An effort, right? I mean, it comes into just like you, you, you gave a damn, you actually put some effort into this and I, I applaud it. You showed that you weren't the host that was too cool to care. That's the worst. <laughs> when you're like, oh, I'm not going to do name tags. I'm not going to do icebreakers. You know, I just want this to be a chill party. You know, I'm a cool host. I'm a cool host. Well, that's not in lacking strategy, in giving up that intention. You're not really being nice to your guests. You're actually being rude to not well, give them that leadership. You know, it's fun. There's a part of me that thinks I love this and I love everything about it. Um, I, I like meeting new people because they haven't heard all my stories yet. So I get to wow and impress a whole new set. Um, I love not small talk, but I like learning about new people and having those discovery conversations. And I when asked in those icebreakers in, you know, Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business or CEO roundtable, whatever, you always have to go around and say, like, what's your greatest skill? I say my thing is collecting people. I'm a collective yes. people, right? Um, and then at the same time, I think, oh, but my house is so comfortable and I like to go to it and not leave. So I am torn between wanting to be sociable and also laying on my couch and watching something on Netflix. Yeah, yes, <laughs> that happens. Do you feel that it's too much work to host? Is that your feeling? Oh, no, I love hosting. Yeah. I just also love being in my pajamas. Right, fair enough. I mean, could you host just like, a pajama party? That's where I'm thinking we're going, Nick. I'm thinking it's a pajama party. I worked with a woman whose name is Tatiana, and she lives in Seattle. And she runs a cool business that does uh, 
stroller mom workouts. They do workouts with the strollers in some way. It's her, it's her like lifestyle business. And um, she read my book and hosted some parties. She just finished her fourth party that she hosted. And she said it was for her birthday and it was her best birthday party she's ever had in her life. And I said, why? And she said, well, I just didn't have anxiety or stress leading up to it. I knew exactly what to do. I knew how to make it successful. Hosting is a muscle that you develop and you can build. And for her birthday party, she did pajamas and they did it on like a wine Wednesday and all the girls wore pajamas and they watched a movie and they did some, you know, talk games or whatever, but it was so much fun. And so I I think, why not? Why not? People would love something like that. We have have a client who um, it's funny. And I guess it's a side question too coming out of the pandemic, which is still something we, we have to consider and talk about and all these, the changes that, that, that led out of that, obviously it was a tragic time and we all had to struggle through that, but the, there are some things that came out of it that were somewhat positive as far as connecting, you know, um, we're talking to you on this zoom platform that normally wouldn't have happened five years ago. You know, now we're, we spend our entire days on digital calls and connecting in a different way. And yeah. we have a client that's up in DC and he, um, they have an um, international company and he liked he's a social guy. He likes to engage and have parties and stuff. And he couldn't all of a sudden. Right. So he started having these digital cocktail hours and he would send everybody these kits with all these drink ingredients, like for an old fashioned cool. or a traditional daiquiri. And they would get online. He'd make it with them and they'd all make it. They'd all have a cocktail together. And then they talk business, which I thought was brilliant. Right. And he, and, and he still does that now it's part of his thing. And, you know, Indeed. and people, people want to be invited to it because it's like, cool, you know, but I love that, that idea that it's, you know, that, you know, inviting businesses in your own town, but be stretching that and getting beyond bigger than that, you know? Yes, that would be neat. I like the idea of doing that. And I think that for both of y'all, you probably have insane networks there in town. And there's people who you know that are amazing people who you simply haven't just hung out with because you're busy, exactly yeah. like you said. And what if you had a way once a month in the time it takes to watch a movie on Netflix, you can connect with 15 to 20 people. And I'm going to say this to Jackie, because I think she would appreciate this. Jackie, you're going to use these cocktail parties to audition your new friend group. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> and my old friend group, because there's a group of us um, who were shorty sisters in college, and we still get together once a month for dinner. They're going to yeah. be very jealous if they think I'm getting a new friend group. So um, I'm going to tell them next week. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. Well, there, I'm just saying, Nick, st- there may be some angry fire news coming at you. They're still the VIP friend group. Okay. And I'm just right. saying <laughs> they'll feel better. That's good. Um, I love this. I love this socially and I love this professionally and I love everything about this and the community that it builds. But I know I'm, I'm being conscious of our time and I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about Museum Hack because sure. the fact that you ran Renegade Museum Tours is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Please explain. I feel like you would have loved these tours. So I, I ran. Like I would have too. Right? And you would have been the, I could probably put you to work as a tour guide too. I'm in. Right? <laughs> How much so do I have I to led, pay you? I'm in. Yeah, great. great. Okay, perfect. Perfect, perfect. I could do this as an Airbnb experience. I'm going to yes. charge you to come work for yes. me. Um, so I started a company called Museum Hack about 10 years ago that did renegade museum tours. Now, what does that mean? It means that I would hire people like stand-up comedians and Broadway actors 
to be the tour guides at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the National Gallery in D.C., the Art Institute in Chicago. I'd hire the most engaging people that you'd want to have a beer with afterwards to hang out with. They would be my guides, and I would teach them about the art and the museum. They would work for me, not for the museum. This was a live experience, by the way. This wasn't like an app that you download. It was a very unscalable business, but that became very popular. (laughs) And it all started as a hobby for me. I just love to do tours for my friends when they'd visit New York. And I would basically show them like 10 cool things I found at the museum and three things I want to steal. And it became... (laughs) you know, sort of an underground hit. This one blog wrote about it and said it was the best thing to do in New York City, Nick Gray's renegade tours. And then, you know, celebrities started to ask me to give them private tours. And somehow I built up a business where eventually we had about 50 employees and we did $3 million in sales at like our peak. Um, And so we were doing a lot of tours and where we made our money was in doing it for businesses like the Fortune 500, Google, GE, and Nike would hire us to bring their teams to the museum as a team building experience. So we were doing offsite events and stuff like that. And that's that's really where we made it into a business. And it was awesome. Super, super cool company. I love everything about that. What did the museum think? <laughs> How were they about this? At the beginning, they were very confused. They're very confused about like, what is going on? And that was a long relationship that was eventually built up where eventually when we were paying hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in museum admissions, then we had a working relationship. But at the beginning, it was like a cat and mouse game. Right. Right. Um, One of the things that I love the most about this, and this is what I think is very important for anybody listening, all four of you, and for people who want to build businesses, you didn't sit down and map out a business plan and say, I've done the research and selling museum tours on the black market. You did something that you had a passion for, that you were interested in. You found other people who had a passion for it or were interested in it, and the revenue followed. And so when you start with your passion, the revenue comes. Yeah, it's true. And also, I've never heard somebody say selling museum tours on the black market. I will be using that from <laughs> now on. As you should. As you I should. I will be using that. But yes, this started. I never wanted to make it a business. I never. I worked on it just to become an amazing tour guide for a product and service that I was proud of for my friends. And then a business came out of that. Yeah. Oh, I just love everything about that. Well, what's funny awesome. though is like the um, uh, we we talked to somebody just the other day, and he was saying, you know he's a very smart guy and he was like in, about categories um, and, and advertising and businesses and whatnot. But he said, you know, at the end of the day, you have to have, what are you solving? You're solving a problem, right? And you, you had a problem, whether it was everybody else's problem or not, you had a problem. You didn't like the yeah. way it was done and yeah. you found a way to solve that problem. And that was the solution. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My problem was I thought museums were boring. I thought this incredible space was overwhelming and too big and the free museum tours were not, we're not cutting it for me. So yeah, I said, I'm going to fix it. Same thing that I did with, with these kind of cocktail parties, to be honest, I go to a cocktail party. Let's talk about professionally. If you're listening to this as a small business owner and you're like, I'm having trouble hiring or like, I want to know how I get my employees out and just mix them up a little bit. I found that just putting everybody in a bar at a happy hour left us up to just physically bumping into people. You just randomly meet versus Well, shoot, if Michael and Jackie go out to 
an event and there's another group that happens to be a couple that owns an agency, you guys probably want to meet them, I'd imagine. And you wouldn't know that unless you happen to bump in. But when we do an icebreaker, we find out about those things. It's a little way for everybody to sound off like a brief survey in the room. I love that. Yeah, it was, it was, um, I'm trying to remember his name, Jackie. It was Kevin Manny. Manny, am I saying it right? Yes, probably. Anyway, he, but he was talking about one of the things I wrote down when he was talking, because I loved it. He said, you know, you have to sometimes, especially when you invent a category, which just sounds like kind of what you did in this in instance, mm-hmm. that you have to lead the public to it. You know, you have to lead them. You have to guide lead them. Lead the hook, people. Lead the people. Yes. And, and, and again, it, you know, maybe nobody thought of that up until this point, but you reinvented a category and you led them to where something they, they needed, but they didn't know they needed at the time. I need to put y'all to work because nobody searches on Amazon for a book about how to host a party. Nobody goes <laughs> on Amazon. It's like, hmm, I, I need to host a party. And this book really is for people who don't even know that they need it. Right. A friend of mine said, he said, man, I see how hard you're working on this, how much value it brings to people's lives. Wouldn't your life have been so much easier if you would have written a diet book <laughs> about how to lose weight? Because people are looking for that, right? They have a problem. Yes. They know this. A lot of people don't know that they don't feel they're like, no, I have my friends, you know, I do this stuff. So that's a journey. That's a journey. I love everything about it. And I hope everybody listening orders your book from Amazon today, has the party and then lets you know how it went. Yes, yes, yes. Which I'm going to put Jackie and Michael to do because I'm going to when this call is over, I'm going to ask you guys to set your date and to pick the date that your party is going to be doing and make a commitment. By the way, your party can only be hosted on a Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday night. Oh, okay. Okay. Why is that? Because it's a non red level day. It's not socially competitive. Right. Thursday and Friday nights, people have stuff going on. Saturday nights, things happen. Stuff comes up. And I want you guys to have guaranteed 15, 20, maybe up to 22 people. I love it. I love everything about it. Um, So let's talk about, because you've got Museum Hack going. You're doing Uh well with it. You're loving it. You've built it from the ground up. And then you sell it. And I know you still have an equity stake and and you like the people that you brought in uh, to run it and that you sell or finance. I understand the details of it, but eventually I'm going to have to talk Michael into thinking about selling this place. And so how did you go through the emotions of selling? Yeah, I never thought that I would sell. I never wanted to. It was my baby. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Um, but the I had hired a leadership team and I'd successfully sort of set them up to run the business for me. And it required very little day-to-day management on my part. This was my second big business. So not my first rodeo. They were running the business for me. And I think they kind of saw the writing on the wall. They're like, wait, we're doing all the work and Nick's making all the money. And they basically came to me and said, look, we think we can take this to the next level where frankly, I wasn't able to, I tried to hire sales directors and other things to break out of that $3 million ceiling. I just couldn't. And they said, look, we want to buy the business from you. And I never thought that I would sell it, but they pitched a really good story and a really good plan that they had for how to make that happen. And that is ultimately what we did. And by the way, they have gone so hard into the team building space and they're doing incredible. They've taken the business to a place that I never could have in a million years and they're working 20 times harder and they have 20 times better ideas and just them having a stake in it is really, really awesome. So I it love worked that. out good for everybody. Yeah. And then you kept a, a piece of the pie too. So you're still directly involved as well. 
I did keep a piece of it. I no longer have that piece, okay. but we're all happy with how things worked out. Right. No, that is awesome. I, I love that for you because I think when you can do something like that and you build it up and you you push it out of the nest and it flies, I think that's kind of our purpose here. Yeah, it's neat. It's super yeah. cool. Yeah, that is awesome. I love that. Um, so, Michael, does that make you feel better about selling one day? No. Okay. Uh, ooh, <laughs> pass. <laughs> Good to know. Um, so tell us about flight display, because I'm fascinated by serial entrepreneurs. Do you consider yourself that as we've now talked about three different business endeavors that you had? I think so, for sure. Yeah. I grew up in a very entrepreneurial household. My father was always like a mad scientist type guy, always thinking about business. He had everything from fried chicken restaurants to this um, avionics company. And so I do think I'm always thinking about business and things like that, for sure. Right. So tell us about flight display and what that was like to work at and then sell as well. And what sure. was it exactly? Yeah, so uh, Flight Display Systems was a um, avionics manufacturer. We made electronic equipment used in small planes and military aircraft. The first product was a moving map that shows you where the plane is flying across the country. So if you've seen that on a big jet plane, mm -hmm. my father was like, hmm, I think I can make that for small planes. I'll take a Windows computer and this software and this board and he made this in the basement of our house, no funding, fully bootstrapped. And his goal was just to sell, you know, one or two of those per month to support our family. And after college, um, I tried to start a software company. My software company was like a failure. I didn't know exactly what to do. And my mother had quit her job and she was working at home out of the basement with my dad as well on this business. And I started to help them out. And I think the first thing I did was like so silly. I like installed a laser printer or something for them. And uh, they just loved it. It was such a big help. And <laughs> I loved being able to help them like that. And so and I then you helped. programmed the VCR. Yes. And then, yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That same exact trajectory. And I started to help them with hiring and recruiting and marketing and advertising. And then we, yeah, we all kind of worked on it. What started as a couple of weeks, turned into a couple of months, turned into a couple of years, grew it to about 70 employees wow. and eventually sold it to a private equity firm in 2014. Awesome. Congratulations on that. That's impressive. Yeah, it was a journey. It was a journey. Um, so then you, you migrate to Austin to uh -huh. do what next? So now I'm focused on this book. I'm I'm focused. I'm lucky to not have to work again. And I'm just, this is my passion project. This is the thing that I'm so obsessed with. I do some investing. So I run a small family office um, and I do some investing, but I really only make one or two decisions a year on that. And now I'm just focused. I'm thinking about how to help people host events, whether mm -hmm. it's a conference. By the way, do you guys, have you ever hosted a conference or have you thought about doing a conference? Yes. Funny. You should mention that. Um, I have a really good friend who is a, a professional coach. And um, so she's kind of the more, you know, inside soul mindset stuff. And I'm obviously the outside marketing business stuff. And we've talked about doing a conference together, um, something that really pairs marketing with mindset and, and putting yourself on the right mind for success and then how to actually implement success. So we sent out a survey to a few different of our database groups to see, you know, gauge the interest. And it came back pretty positive. So we haven't gotten much past that yet, but we, we started to put together what 
a, a kind of an itinerary would be for that. I think that would be really cool. I right? think that would be neat. In town, because you guys service, I assume, business owners there regionally, don't mm-hmm. y'all just have an incredible network of mm-hmm. business owners mm-hmm. and entrepreneurs yep. and decision makers? I would imagine more than other people, you are spread across various yep. sort of industries. Yep. Do you think, um, and I talked to them about that, I have nothing to do with it, but um, being more niche focused, you know, like if it's just women-based or women business leaders, do you find there's a, there's a, there's a, a benefit to doing that versus opening it up broadly? So for a conference, it's another story. I would say that the, the bulk of my advice that I feel most comfortable on is simply to get people to start making it a habit and that to do it a habit, you have to be able to do it regularly. And in the cocktail parties, I advise people to host. I say, don't try to curate. Don't mm-hmm. try to set a theme. Mm-hmm. Know that you are enough and just try to fill the room. Learn mm-hmm. how to get comfortable in front of an audience. And so similarly, if that's your question about curating it for a conference or a mastermind or something, absolutely. High quality people love to be in a room that is curated and that is selected. Right. I think absolutely 100%. And yet you need to be good at running events. And so what's the easiest possible event or conference that you could host, whether it's a half day event and you can something, right? Like, like how, how, like what's the easiest possible way that you could just leverage the networks that you have to bring people together. I would think about that first. Right. No, I love that. I love that. I think we're gonna have to jump on that because it keeps popping back up. I feel like the universe is telling me that I need to go make this happen. That would be cool. That would be cool. You crush it. You do great. I think so too. It would be so much fun. We've done a good job in the past few years. I mean, Jack has always been kind of the face of our agency and, um, you know, of the thought leadership, even though I, I may do a lot of the writing for her in the background. Uh, he does all the work. I get all the glory. It's just the way I like it. Yes. Nice. Basically, it goes like this, um, Nick. I, I write pages and pages of copy and she ignores them all and summarizes everything into bullet points. Oh. Um, and cr- crushes my soul as the words are not read aloud. So that, that's kind of what happens. But uh, I give her the juice behind it all, you know. Nick's like, that's I had no good. idea. I just joined the Russo family therapy <laughs> session. Okay. This is great. I love it. <laughs> but that being said, in, in more recent years, Jackie's done a really good job. We've, uh, our team has been pushing her out there as a thought leader. She's done, you know, she's hired for public speaking engagements and whatnot. So her network has grown on those levels as being, hey, I'm an expert in this, in this world. And, you know, how to capitalize on that and bring some of those resources back to us. I love that. That's uh, that's pretty good. Yeah. You guys have this funnel. You need to start yes. hosting this stuff. Even for work, you could do these as networking events or just to sort of community stuff. Have somebody in your team run them. Ultra easy. You can do them for less than $100 each one and you guys just show up. Right. No, I'm, I'm going to look at the calendar as soon as we get done and pick a date and invite Michael to a party that we're going to have at our house. It's going to be awesome. Yes. That's kind of the way it goes now. I, I, I find out that we're doing something and I'm like, okay, I guess we're doing that. Surprise. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I've ordered the book. I cannot wait to read it and follow the directions and then report back to you on the success of our first two hour cocktail party. Thank you. Thank you so much. Nick, thank you. I so appreciate your time and your insight and the energy that you bring to the room. Um, You have been a delightful guest and um, we just are so glad you were here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks to all the listeners for listening.